Welcome to the BristolCon Fringe, a series of readings from the science fiction and fantasy community. This podcast was recorded in front of a live audience in the centre of Bristol. Well, good evening, everybody, and uh, welcome to another BristolCon Fringe. It's uh, a pleasure to see such a big crowd, especially as we're back to traditional British summer weather. Pro- probably just as well, we'd all be on hosepipe bands by now. Um, also, great to see the bar open up here. Thank you very much, sir. I hope you do some good business during the intermissions. Alrighty, so on with the, uh, the business of the day. Uh, our first reader is well known to me because he was in airship shape and Bristol fashion. Uh, and for those of you following the whole saga of the Creative Histories Conference at Bristol University, I'm afraid we, we haven't been asked to do any readings, but I am still doing my paper, so I will do my best to sell a few copies of the book at the conference. Uh, so, our first reader of the night, uh, in Airship Shape and Bristol fashion, and in many other things as well, uh, will you please welcome Mr. Peter Schroepik. Gosh, this is scary. Hi. Hey. I'm going to read from a short story. Uh, it's called Punctuated Equilibrium, which is complicated. Right, this is a story that is set in a sci-fi world a couple of hundred years into the future after a few wars, and there's some technology in it. Hopefully it'll be understandable enough. Pennsylvania Settlement, Durham District, Outer Bristol, Reclamation Area 5. Standing next to a young chestnut tree, Theodore Rumley bloomed. Blue, green and crimson twigs and branches spurred from all over his body, intertwined with those of the tree. Some grew right through the main trunk. Small lumps riddled the growth. A few of them had opened, showing a bright yellow core. The the man must have been leaning against the tree just when whatever happened to him did. He was held upright by a few thick growths shooting from each of his shins. Jeremiah's alpha auto-initiated visual range spectroscopy, (coughs) throwing masses of information in his extra vision that meant nothing to him. He twitched his fingers to shut it off. Damn, he said, that's something I have not yet seen. Makes two of us. Apaja, the chief technician sent here by Sanyo Futura Corporation, agreed. Jeremiah thought she was tall, perhaps Mars-born, pretty and probably far smarter than he was. Is he dead? We're not sure, she replied with a frown. There is something of a pulse there, and if he was dead, he should be called by now. Even if this thing, she pointed to a symbiote implanted on top of Ramley's forearm, is now feeding off the bloody tree. Can it do that? I thought it was grown to interface with humans only. How the hell should I know? This thing is beyond level 11 clear as I had to sign my life away to Black Ops before I was even taught what the assignment was. Um, As far as I know, it should not be compatible. On the other hand, she tapped one of the blue twigs and it moved more like an animal than a plant. As far as I know, it's not supposed to grow tentacles either. Can you extract the whole thing and get it to a transport on Baumach as soon as possible? Care of Dr. Avanamasan Shahim. Baumach? Her eyebrows went up. That will cost a fortune in fuel. Just ping the forms over to me. All right, you're the boss. Is it okay to poke around the house? Knock yourself out. We already done a passive sweep. No traces of anything related to the symbiote, but if you find anything interesting, let me know and I'll have it checked over first. Sure thing. Thank you. Good luck. Jeremiah gave a short nod and went to look around the house. Before he entered, he checked that he had enough storage in his backup memory bank to record the full spectrum of data his alpha implants were able to get. 
the enhanced lenses, microphones, and nasal filters would capture far more than their biological equivalents, so technically he could ask any of the tech team to do the recording for him, but he liked to be physically present. Agreeing to have the Alpha installed was a matter of necessity to him, not preference. The same went for the endodermal armor and enhancements. They kept him alive during the events of the last year, but he had the impression he had traded something of himself for every one of them. Humidity, 58%. Suspended particles count nominal. Temperature, 21 degrees Celsius. The three rooms were furnished using real wood, yew and pine, with stone elements tastefully placed here and there to mimic the old-style cottages. Jeremiah went through the drawers and cupboards, finding absolutely nothing interesting. The clothes were folded neatly, rows of food jars and containers filled the kitchen, and the bathroom was squeaky clean. All this, whilst appearing normal, made Jeremiah think that there was something missing, but he could not say what. He even looked at the trash, which was empty. On his way out, he instructed his Alpha to connect him with the Balmax station main lab. Standing in front of the house, Jeremiah took in the surroundings. After ten years spent living on a Dastra habitat, the abundance of open space seemed ridiculous. Durham district of outer Bristol was built upon the ruins of a few of the villages that once surrounded the original borough. Widely spaced, low buildings followed the recent fashion of blending in with the landscape. He'd never been here before, so it was hard to say if the irregularities of the landscape were a result of a recent wars or historic. What's up? Shahim said, his image popping into his field of vision. We found another body. That makes five so far. I know. I've told them to bring it to you. This one's different. Different how? You'll see. Any progress on the others? Not so far. I'll keep you updated. Shahim closed the connection and Jeremiah scrambled inside the GMC parked out on the front lawn. Sanya Futura's Barmouth Research and Development Station. Barmouth Asteroid, the belt. Shahim's lab had been cleared for all other projects, apart from Theodore Rumley's body. Luckily, the tree was small and the room large, allowing the text to fit it in, only just. Shahim was leaning over Rumley's arm. Hey, said Jeremiah, taking in the view once again. It was just as surreal as the first time. Shahim turned and smiled. Hi, you are right, he is different. Fascinating, though certainly a disturbing one. Actually, there are, for various reasons. Tell me about it. Got any coffee? Shahim pointed him at the coffee maker. Pour one for me too, I've been at it for hours. Jeremiah did, and they sat at a small table in the corner of the lab. The scientists looked tired. The first case of death by rampant mutation in the implant came up nearly two weeks ago, and since then more bodies had popped up every few days. It was frustrating. The corpses did not belong to volunteers or even contracted soldiers. They seemed to be completely random people, in two cases not even remotely related to any corporation. The questions of who implanted them and how they managed to induce such violent mutations kept them both up for days. So how did he die? asked Jeremiah. Shahim's face lit up for a second. But that's the thing! He didn't! What do you mean? Is he, is he conscious? I'm not sure. There's something weird. There's some weird brain activity caused by the implant. Hard to say. The symbiotes create synaptic links and receive information just as any other part of your body. But I've also discovered that their neural network is complex enough to support independent processes. Now, I've done a CAT scan and an MRI and everything shows an increase in synaptic linkage by at least 300%. So the symbiote can now think for itself? Shahim sipped more coffee than spread his arms. I've no idea, honestly. The strange activity might be some sort of a loop caused by old imitations as well as an effect of a cladogenesis. Cladogenesis, an evolutionary splitting event where a parent species splits into two distinct species forming. Jeremiah waved the explanation away. Are the others the same? There are similarities, but the extent of the mutations are small in comparison.
Jeremiah sat quietly for a moment. So, you've figured out what's causing the, those mutations? No. But I have some ideas. What about Junior there? Jerry pointed to the slight lump on Shahim's left forearm. You gonna keep him? I'm monitoring it. So far, there's been no changes. Shahim touched the place where the symbiote was. Besides, there's no way I can get rid of it now. Best case, I would end up in a wheelchair again. Ava, look, I... It wasn't your fault, Jerry, Shahim interrupted, then grinned. But if you feel bad about it, you can always get me a crate of Martian beer. I miss it. On my salary? You're forgetting I know what your salary is. Bastard, replied Jeremiah, smiling. All that Theodore Rumley was, the sum of his life online, his preferences, memory recordings, work, everything could fit in a piece of etched crystal, no larger than Jeremiah's fist. There was an existential irony there, which he did not feel comfortable exploring. According to the official feeds, Rumley was a ballistics technician with a specialization in high-velocity weapons. Single, no living family, no death, no current relations. He moved to Pennsylvania settlements three years ago, but there was no information about what he worked on. Jeremiah had already looked through his social feeds, which were minimal. That in itself was somewhat weird. With Alpha Influence getting cheaper and the free access to ANET on whatever electronic device one had, it was nigh impossible not to leave any traces of one's life imprinted permanently on the virtual world. Even when some social feeds performed regular records purges to free up server memory, copies were archived and kept accessible without a problem, which made Rumley's skimpy profile even more suspicious. Jeremiah started to suspect that parts of his records had been deleted on purpose. It would be a Herculean task, though not impossible. The real question, however, was why. Family protection usually wasn't the issue. High-ranking employees who worked on sensitive projects simply had their families move to a nice secret location with airtight security, and Razorback, small as it was, could definitely afford that. Jeremiah rubbed the bridge of his nose. He was getting nowhere like this. He needed to broaden his search if he didn't want to grow old before completing the job. He contacted Barmark's AI and requested the facet located to him for analysis and cross-referencing of Rumley's and other victims' files. When his approval chimed in his inner ear, along with the Access app, he dropped the entire Rumley archive as well as the others into one databank and asked for a search on symbiotes, mutations, DNA modifications, alien DNA, and an afterthought, G2 and Sanya Futura. He also set the less-than-legal snooper app to chew through backup nodes, protected servers, and private social accounts for any information on the deceased. He was asleep when the buzzer in his inner ear dragged him away from the dreams of talking trees and living planets. It was the snooper soft. Jerry sat up in bed and waved the connection in. It didn't seem like much at first glance. Some photo files and a few text documents, but as Jeremiah started to open them up, he realized he hit the jackpot. First was a photo of Rumley standing in a hospital ward holding a newborn baby. Another child, a toddler aged two or three, stood by him holding his leg. Next showed the younger version of the not-quite-dead technician holding his arm around the shoulders of a pretty young girl, laughing. There were pictures of Rumley with his children and the whole family together, 164 of them in total. Jeremiah checked the origin. Most came from a social feed that server that due hardware two weeks ago didn't update when it should. In other words, Jeremiah got lucky, but there was no doubt. Until a fortnight ago, Theodore Rumley had a family. Scanning through the rest of the files took him another three hours. Unfortunately, the one thing none of them gave him was the family's name and address. Undaunted, Jeremiah loaded the pictures to the snooper and sent it to sweep the servers again. Whoever deleted Rumley's files made a mistake once, and there was a good chance that they'd repeated the pattern. All he had to do was get lucky again. Frim Settlement... Frim District, Outer Bristol, Reclamation Area 5. 
The address was a semi-detached house in the centre of Froome, some 20 miles from Bristol centre. Whoever lived here had left the place in a hurry. Pulled out drawers, opened wardrobes, knocked over vases, crockery left lying in the mess in the kitchen, and cupboard doors ripped off their hinges, all indicated to Jeremiah that the leaving hadn't happened voluntarily. His alpha chimed in his inner ear. The tactical lap that was running in the background identified the photograph lying under a ripped sweater. Jeremiah picked it up. It showed a blonde woman with Caribbean features and two children, the same ones as on the picture found by the snooper. Theodore Rumley wasn't present, but looking at the composition of objects in the photo, Jeremiah thought the dead man was there before someone removed him. He was about to check if the pile of clothes contained any other clues, when his extra vision flashed red and switched to a full tactical mode. He was not alone in the house. As quiet as he could, he went back to the main hall. Whichever corp they worked for, they were worth the money. If not the fact that the tactical mode cranked up his sensory implants to the limits, he would never have heard the slight rustle that came a fraction of a second before the attack. He had just enough time to move slightly. Instead of shattering his neck, the blow landed on his shoulder and almost broke his clavicle. He dropped to one knee. The adrenaline rush triggered just as much as the programming as by the attack itself made the world slow down. In one single move, he turned, rose and landed a powerful punch on the attacker's arm. He was aiming for the head. The man moved too quickly not to be enhanced. He also had a gun. It was glowing red in the extra vision as a major threat. Audio indicators, one plus possible assailant approaching, west-northwest, gunshot wound risk high. West-northwest was where the main door was. Knowing he would not have time to pull his own gun, he decided to use the one pointed at him. All the decision-making took a heartbeat. Before he consciously knew what, he, what was happening, his body was already moving. He ducked under the gun, aimed at him before it fired, and grabbed the attacker from behind, squeezing his fingers on the trigger. Knocking the man's knee from behind shook his balance enough to allow Jeremiah to shoot a few bullets into one of the soldiers that just came through the door. He locked the man's neck and squeezed as hard as he could. He almost heard the servos of the endo-enhancements whine, as if they could. If he wasn't so pumped up by adrenaline, the crunching sound of the man's crushed larynx would have turned his stomach. The body in his grip became limp and knowing he couldn't support its weight, he dropped to his knees without, with it. Squeezing the trigger and aiming for the third attacker who ducked for cover in a doorway came without thinking. Not stopping, Jeremiah pulled the gun from the dying man's grip. It wasn't print lock, which was lucky. He kept on firing at the third one, while with the other hand he pulled out his own weapon and started to walk down the short hall. No one fired back, and after a couple of seconds he heard the window shatter. Shit, he swore, and broke into a run. Just as he opened the front door, a small ship rose from the lawn. Distance, 9.6 meters. Elevation, 2.1 and rising. Configuration unknown. Designation unknown. Active weapon ports detected. Jeremiah twitched his fingers, sending the endo implants into overdrive and ducked back into the house for cover. After a short barrage that almost obliterated the front wall, the whiz of the engines became deafening and after a few seconds, the ship was gone. Jeremiah was lying on the floor, half covered by the door he must have ripped off when he tossed himself back, breathing heavily. His alpha turned the override mode off and was running Dimplant Diagnostics. With a mixture of surprise and relief, he noticed the results were mostly green. Groaning, he slid from under the door in rubble. It seemed he got lucky, and the only bleeding he noticed came from a few small scratches. He looked around. The hall was devastated, a collage of shattered glass, splintered wood and bits of plaster and brick. His left foot started to throb badly. He hobbled over to the bedroom door and picked up the photo he must have dropped. He didn't really need it. Its image was stored in his alpha, but he wanted tangible evidence. As he was struggling through the debris toward the gaping hole of where the main door used to be, he heard the moan. 
The woman that he shot with her colleague's gun was still alive. He started clearing off some of the rubble of her heavily implanted body. When he freed her torso, he noticed she was moving her fingers. He figured it was to use her alpha, so he no longer resisted the urge to hit her and with his remaining strength landed a heavy hook on her jaw. He almost sent her over the edge with this. She was badly shot and he noticed a few dents in the armour from the falling rubble that must have crushed her internal organs. Who sent you? Who do you work for? He yelled at her. With a mixture of awe and surprise, he noticed she was slightly smiling. That took the rest of the air out of him. Fighting dizziness, his adrenaline supplies completely exhausted, he lied down next to the bleeding body and called the local SF office for extraction. The on-call officer gave him an ETA of 15 minutes, but the soldier next to him was dead after three. The Bristol Confringe is a monthly podcast produced by the Bristol Con Foundation. The music at the beginning of this podcast is The Future by Chevy 174. We'd like to thank the famous Royal Navy volunteer for providing us with a venue, and we'd like to thank you for listening. If you would like to keep up to date with our events, please like our Bristol Con Fringe page on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at BrizConFringe. <laughs>